You're listening to Legends Cast, a podcast about the cards, the meta, and the community of Legends of Runeterra. This episode is supported by listeners like you. To become a supporter of Legends Cast, visit patreon.com slash legendscast. Let's do this. Hello and welcome to Legends Cast, a podcast about the cards, the meta, and the community of the Legends of Runeterra. I'm one of your hosts, Mark Lutz, from outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and with me tonight is the legendary, the stupendous, the incredible, the insane... Uh, that's enough adjectives. <laughs> Dead broke nerd. Dead broke nerd, you and me both corona-free and hanging out on the podcast tonight. How you doing, man? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not gonna... They say it takes uh, five days for symptoms to uh, appear, so we're not gonna call that yet. <laughs> no but, symptoms uh, today. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. So we're doing okay, though. Thank goodness. And, you know, thoughts go out to everybody who's struggling with that or in an area where that's, you know, becoming a, a problem. But uh, we're not going to dwell on that because you're here to listen uh, to us talk about cards. Yes. Uh, probably the thing we're most qualified for. Definitely don't have that uh, that medical degree. Not yet, anyways. <laughs> I ain't trying to get it neither. <laughs> uh, no thanks. <laughs> I don't. I don't know if my salary will cover that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't. I don't know if my brain could do it. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's that too. Right? Quite, quite <laughs> confident that my brain can't do it. Oh, that's okay. Uh, yeah. So, so we're we're talking Elder Scrolls Legends again, and you know, it, no, I we're missed not. It last we're week not talking about not Elder Scrolls, Scrolls Legends. Well, okay. I so yes, no, we're not. But I was actually gonna say because I even wrote it down, I'm still not get used to hearing a podcast about the Legends of Runeterra. I'm so used to hearing the Elder Scrolls Legends, I'm still not used to it. Well, I'm still totally not used to it. We had, what, 20 episodes, 20-some episodes of Elder Scrolls Legends. 25. And we're, only, yeah. we're only six episodes in to the Legends of Runeterra podcast, so it's still yeah. a transition for us to make around here. It is right. You can tell by my my slip up there. Uh, but yeah, no, Legends of Runeterra. That's the one we're talking about. It's, I mean, that's the one I'm looking at on my screen, anyways. Um, that's good. I guess. Yeah, I, I didn't boot up the wrong one. It I'm would, not that far gone. It would be weird if you. It would be weird. <laughs> I accidentally booted it up the other day. I tried to boot up uh, Elder Scrolls Online, and I booted up Elder Scrolls Legends instead. <laughs> it was such a mixture. It was like a hot second of a of a, a big old mixture of feelings for me. Big yeah, old mixture. Yeah, no, I haven't I haven't booted up in a while for sure. <laughs> I just it's not it's just not worth the angst <laughs> <laughs> well you know we have some people from our podcast that are listening that i'm sure traveled with us from our old game to our new game but we are talking about legends of runeterra um my week was was great um it was awesome uh there is all sorts of stuff going on in life but um let me tell you how good children are as a tax shelter um, they are a fantastic tax shelter. And so my wife and I got our tax return back and my taxes are a hot mess because I'm a pastor, not going to get into how taxes work for you as a pastor, but it's a hot mess. And, uh, so someone did our taxes this year. It came back. Awesome. We're super pumped. So I'm now speaking on a new microphone through a new interface Got a new 
DSLR setup, which is one that we just had laying around the house that my wife, I bought her and she's literally never used. New lights, new green screen. I got to stream last night for uh, two hours. Um, had four, I averaged like three or four viewers. It's the most I've ever averaged. It was great. Had a, It's so much easier streaming to two people or three people that are talking to you than it is to stream to nobody um, and just talk to yourself. So had some great yeah. times interacting and uh, 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 so all this new, so new toys, new equipment. Um, I, I try to add up in my head between the construction of the room um, and the equipment, the PC, uh, all of the things that I've I've invested in, um, what those things add up to monetarily for a podcast. Um, it didn't it didn't make me feel bad, but it didn't make me feel great. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but the new I think the new microphone new microphone sounds awesome. Uh, it's catching a lot less background noise. I moved up to an XLR mic from a USB mic, so you're not catching that electronic hum that was coming through before. So overall, just been super excited and uh, really excited to do a little bit more streaming of the Legends of Runeterra, which I've sort of kind of committed to at this point. Even learned how to do uh, sort of like, um, I don't, what are they, like little announcements on your stream when people follow you and stuff, alerts? Yeah, the old Twitch alerts. Yeah, You, you got those, huh? Well, I downloaded something from Stream Elements or something, and it came with mm -hmm. some Twitch yeah. alerts. And I've never used it before, but you can like. Anyway, if you're interested in that, message me. Oh, but, uh, you, you sweet summer child. Uh, but I, I've been I've been doing so much learning, so much learning. Um, and uh, well, in, if, you, if you do need help uh, setting up any of that stuff, I I can help out. I've done plenty of that. I've learned a little I need to bit. Use it. <laughs> I've learned a little bit. I learned. I, yeah. I set up some overlays. Um, really like the ones that that got set up. And we are actually going to start live streaming, um, from my Twitch channel. Um, our episodes here soon. So, we typically start recording around between nine thirty and ten o'clock p.m. EST on Wednesday nights, and it looks like we're going to move to maybe live streaming some of that in the next in the next let's say in the next month. I'm not exactly sure what it's going to be. We'll announce it on Twitter and in our Discord, but um, that's something that we're going to be moving towards. Um, I do have something that I want to do just off the top of the show because this is really important. I don't want to forget it. So we announced last week on our Point Five episode that we were going to do a giveaway of a hat, a little hat giveaway. Um, mm -hmm. And the way you get into the hat giveaway is by uh, leaving us a rating and review on iTunes. So we had two ratings and reviews come in this week. Five-star ratings. That's awesome. Wow. So, yeah. Uh, hey, not just ratings and reviews, but five-star ones to boot. Five-star. People who, people who liked what we're doing. They there, can't get enough of us. There might have been four. I can't remember when this guy came in, but I'm just going to read them and give you a little shout out. So the first one, Spoon Nation for Life, says, great podcast. <laughs> I started looking, I started listening back in the Elder Scrolls Legends era, and I'm still listening even though I haven't started playing Runeterra yet. Thanks for the review there, Spoon Nation. Wow. Yeah. We have, uh, I've been it. I've been it. I think uh, I-V-B-E-N-O-I-T. I think that's how I pronounce it. Said great guest, fun podcast, love the podcast. They touch all kinds of different Runeterra content, which is great. It's not just a meta or news recap. They talk strategy, fun decks, specific cards, community, and about Frisbee lore. All sorts of yes. banter. 
I had someone get oh on God. the stream last night, and it was like, hey, I don't like it when you talk about board games. And I was like, I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry. I shouldn't. You're right. It doesn't actually pertain to the show. The last one was JK778 said, Great Runeterra Podcast says, I really like Lyft's positive. Oh, look, I got called out on this. I never read this one. You did? Yeah. Lyft's positive attitude on the game and life in general. I think that the episode we had, uh, they had Charmer uh, was one of their best episodes. So I would definitely check that out. They also have an active community on Discord. I'm on there as Momo. So uh, thank you so much, JK778, a.k.a. Momo, a.k.a. Don't know your full name, um, but we're so glad to have you guys. Thank you so much for leaving us those five-star ratings and reviews over on iTunes. And if you want to be in the March drawing for a Legend Cast hat, I looked at them today. It's going to be a black-on-black, flat-brim, snapback with uh, with a golden Legends Cast logo embroidered on the front of it. Mm, mm, mm. It's going to be sick. I'm like saying all of that, and he hasn't sent me the price yet. And next week, it's like you are entering to win a T-shirt. <laughs> um, <laughs> but that's that's the plan right now. We're gonna release the pictures of the hats um, on Discord and Twitter once we finalize all of that. But uh, go over to iTunes, leave us a rating and review. We'll read it out here on the show, and then uh, enter you into our March drawing to uh, to win a hat. Which we're gonna be doing drawings for different things throughout. But, uh, but yeah, so go do that. That, that's our, that's our upkeep for tonight. DBN, um, what have you been playing? I know you've had a lot going on in life over in Virginia, but what have you been playing in Legends of Runeterra? Uh, dude, not enough. Not going to lie. It's, it's been a, <laughs> an unfortunate, uh, reality that this, these last, heck, the last two weeks have been just crazy uh work has been we've been ramping up for a uh event and so everything's kind of gotten trickled down to be a, a massive workload and then i tell you what and, and i'm i'm not i'm not making this up i mean i mean this is this is legit i could not all of last week so far this week it's been just okay but all of last week i could not commute home uh in less than an hour every day last week oh, and mind you it, mind you it takes me mm, 20 minutes max to get to work in the morning yeah jeez <laughs> yeah it was really it was weird you know but uh yeah so last week i barely played and this week i played some today but uh besides that didn't play much uh otherwise not and, not to go um, back to world events, but do you think that's because there's a lot less people using public transportation right now, so it's increasing your commute? Maybe. I hadn't considered that, but, I mean, I guess it could be that. Yeah. Um, I I know. I mean, there's there's this area is notoriously bad about construction and, and at terrible times of day. <laughs> sure. I mean, Northern Virginia has some of the worst traffic in the world. Well... In the country, anyway, right? Well, kind of yeah, up around I mean, Northern Virginia is bad. I mean, I'm 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 in Southern Virginia. Oh, okay, okay. Well, I don't yeah. know geography, so. Well, you know, you're getting there. <laughs> I, but I'm not running a geography podcast, so that's fine. That's true. Listen, <laughs> uh, we we stick strictly to card games and frisbee around here. Mm -hmm. Let me tell you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, no. Uh, so 
I've been trying to play when I have played. I've been focusing pretty heavily on uh, the old Crimson Curator and trying to facilitate kind of an adaptation of my original deck that we talked about in like the first episode, like the uh, Bleed for Braum yes. build with Vlad and Braum. And it really, it's not that great, but, uh, you know, it's still enjoyable. Um, so I kind of uh, have been playing with it and having fun. It, you know, it. It's one of those decks that wants to really, and kind of was one of the first decks that really utilized those kind of combat tricks in the early days of the game was really focusing on combat tricks. And now everyone kind of seems to be focusing on combat tricks. Um, There's a lot kind of, of become the established way to play the game is win the board through tricks in combat. Um, and so like you, a lot of times you will set up these plays where you're trying to get these guys to, uh, trade favorably with the opponent's creatures and use your tricks to make sure they stay alive so that you can get those additional effects of dealing damage to your opponent, you know, summoning, uh, getting another crimson card in your hand, stuff like that. But but then they just play their tricks back and then it ends up being a wash, uh, which I think is one of the problems with this. And plus the fact that, like, you have not a lot of great answers for elusives. Uh, so it's just okay. Yeah, that's but a, that's I, but that's what I play right when I have time. That's a problem right now. You have to have an elusive answer currently. Um, yeah, yeah. And I've, just a I've tremendous been, I've been liking Noxian Guillotine uh, okay. a lot mm -hmm. um, because I can do like Death Lotus Noxian Guillotine and clean some stuff up. But that's a pretty pricey board clear. Yeah, you know? pretty pricey removal. Mm -hmm. So uh, I also have been running Reckoning, and when I draw it, it tends to do great. Mm. When I don't draw it because i'm not going to play three i'm just going to play two and two sometimes there are games where i draw it and i'm like wow this sits in my hand all game and you know yeah. you draw it early and it clogs but then you draw it at the right time and it just wins you the game so it, it can be a little bit the deck is unrefined the games that you win feel like blowouts and the games that you lose um you know you're like well i couldn't do anything so it definitely needs some work and i, I think vlad overall is feels like I play him and like, but by the time I drop Vlad, uh, typically the game's already been decided or at mm, least is mm. heavily leaning one way or the other. And occasionally you can get a cool combo win with him, but that's been my experience anyways with this, uh, this build. And I haven't really been messing with a whole lot of other stuff. I was having so much fun with Yasuo for a while, uh, but I wanted to, I've been hyping up Crimson Curator so much. And I still think the card is a lot better now that it has that three defense. I, I do think that's a good card. And I'm even considering it playing it outside of a uh, like self damage deck just to value, just to generate value. Um, but I was like, all right, I got to put my money where my mouth is and, and mess with Crimson Curator. So, uh, and really, yeah, and really, that's not the down, like, that's not the weak point of the deck, really. I mean, you know, yeah, uh, it's just, it's just removal's tough. And so, th what I've done normally, I, be, I play it in Frailyard and play Braum, but I, I do think I'm going to go and mess with uh, Demacia and play some tough units um, oh, to combo with some of these pings. Yeah. So, I'm going to mess with that next. Okay. Uh, in terms of like the crimson curator um so we'll go we'll do noxus demacia and hopefully i'll have some time to play over the next uh week and i can report back on how that goes yeah so i played a lot i played more this week um than i have played 
at any point since the game released um and definitely more than i played in closed beta um i really grinded i think i'm at gold three right now um rank gold nice. three so um and i've played pretty much exclusively ash decks that's pretty much all that i've been playing and i've been loving it a lot of frostbite um i played an ash trindamere deck and then i played an ash thresh deck which was a lot of fun um that played um the the guy that resurrects a dead champion i've learned a lot about the game this this past time um that some interactions specifically with trindamere that i do not understand so for example trindamere reads when he dies level him up so i thought i would trade him off he would level up because he died i would be able to play the guy that resurrects the most powerful dead champion and it would resurrect a trindamere because he died in order to level up but it doesn't work that way he never officially died he levels up so he doesn't summon anything if trin is the only thing that died he won't summon anything like he so it's like instead of dying he levels up yes kind of how it tends to read yeah but that isn't really how the card reads so that was interesting yeah the other thing that's interesting is i got attacked by a trindamere today i casted vengeance no it does i'd hate to correct you okay but it does say i level up instead oh i just didn't know how the card worked didn't even well, read I it. mean, I, I probably would have done the exact same thing because in my mind, it's well, he died, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, his eyes glow now, after all, on the card. Uh, <laughs> which seems zombie-ish. makes sense for my follow-up comment, which was I had a Trindamere attack me today and I used vengeance on him thinking he would die and then his new 9-9 would, form would just go back. Would sit on the bench. Would sit on the bench, but it doesn't happen that way. If you vengeance... Or, or kill off, he just levels up, and if you don't have a blocker up, he just attacks your face with his new leveled up form. Trendomir is rough. Like when it gets when it gets to the point of the game when your opponent's dropping Trendomir, like that can be very it's it's very, very difficult to deal with him, I find, uh, unless you're already kind of ahead and have your win condition paced out. Because like I mean, like I've talked about a lot, and and it's a, it's a thin line to walk, and I don't necessarily think it's bad that it's this way, but you know, removal is uh, at a premium. Mm-hmm. You have it, and you hold on to it, and you need it to be effective. And so, when an eight four drops, yeah, you might be able to deal that damage, but it actually doesn't. It actually helps them. It basically wastes that damage. Like you have to put so much into killing Trindamere. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, he, and and the overwhelm just pressure so hard so yeah no, Trinomir's, i know honestly i i think trinomir is a really nicely designed character because of that you know it's 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 got that prohibitive cost yeah uh, but it really does uh can end games yeah it ends games and it really it warps the way your opponent wants to play by the mere by its mere presence which i find i find very interesting mm-hmm. um i mean compared to like hecarim am i saying that hecarim right? yeah hecarim you got hecarim uh, compared to Hecarim, which just feels maybe a little bit overtuned, and it's too flexible, it's too good in too many situations, and it's it's right at the point of the game where like you're not quite dead yet, you know, and you can drop them and pressure and you know. But Trendemir feels like that perfect little sweet spot of okay, eight is is you got to get to eight, but when you get to eight, this guy can really turn that game around. So I, I like Trendemir. So I have really enjoyed these Ash decks. They're sort of like deck buffing. It it runs the Hearthguard and 
which buffs mm-hmm. plus one plus one everything in your deck. It runs the Hawks, which buffs plus one plus one on the top two creatures. It runs a whole bunch of buffs. It is a Noxus failure deck that runs um, the chick. She's like a four mana four three that um, draws you a card for each five attack minion that you have on the board. But if she gets buffed, mm-hmm. she's just a four mana five four that draws you a card and. I've had her draw me four or five cards at a shot before. It's like the best card draw engine in the game. If you get those hearth guards rolling early enough and it's going late enough in the game, you just put down too big a bodies for your opponent to deal with. That's been a lot of fun. I've actually experienced that Reckoning, um, I have not enjoyed. I actually ended up, I played it to have Reckoning in it and then ended up pulling it from the deck, specifically because in this particular deck, what I found would op- often happen is I would I would have a five attack minion on the board. One, my opponent mm-hmm. would flood the board with fearsomes or elusives, and I'd be like, "Great, I'll play Reckoning. I have Ash on the board," and then they would either remove the Ash or recall the Ash or lower the Ash's attack just enough that my Reckoning would fizzle. And I had that happen enough times to me, or there was actually a couple of times um, where sort of like the Jinx deck, the discard deck. They would they would play out or discard the thing that buffs their entire board by one attack, and they would just keep most of their board alive by getting them up to five attack instead of at four. Then my reckoning would go off, and I w- had had basically wasted six mana. I didn't expect sort of the restriction on reckoning to be too big of a deal, but I ran into too many games that it was a big deal. So I ended up removing the reckoning, adding just some more late game stuff, um, mm-hmm. and and had a lot of fun with it. So. I definitely have been loving sort of the frostbite, like semi-controly ash decks that just turn so lethal when you when you pump up the board and then ash levels up, you frostbite like most of their board on one turn, they can't block with anything, and then you just deal like their entire life in, in a round. Um, <laughs> and uh, have been really enjoying that deck, so I played the heck out of that. But last night, uh, when I was getting off of stream, we had a couple of people uh, hanging out there with me, and um, one of the one of the folks who was in my stream was a was a competitive player in a handful of games, um, but is one of the top and I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but is one of the top legend players in NA right now, and he told me I should check out the Karma Heimerdinger deck, and so I crafted a couple of he- I crafted three Heimers, and a Karma last night and um, threw together a Karma Heimerdinger deck, and that's what I'm going to be playing this next week. So that's what I'm excited Uh. for. I don't know if that makes me a bad person. I think I'm a a worse person if I'm playing Elusives, Zed, or or if I'm playing um, like Ezreal, Freeze, but um, definitely excited about checking out this Heimerdinger Karma deck because I think it's going to be a lot of fun. That's what I'm definitely excited about. No, I mean, I I don't know. Elusive is the only thing that I, I genuinely feel is cheap uh like th- there's everything else seems perfectly on the table and if you play elusive i mean i don't i don't hate you i i hate your deck but i don't hate you <laughs> uh but you know it's getting there <laughs> I... Uh, no I, I mean i i just think elusive is a bad mechanic and it's the only thing i can i think maybe not the only thing but one of one of the few things i can look at this game and just say i flat out don't like there are some things that I don't necessarily I wouldn't have made that choice, but I understand it. But elusive is definitely one of those things where I'm like, this is not good uh, for the game. For the record, I find fearsome perfectly fine. I have no issues with fearsome, and I know a lot of people do. But uh, I, I find that like 
and I've talked about this a little bit, but like with fearsome, you can like any faction can counter fearsome a little bit in deck building, mm-hmm. you know, like you, you have those natural, like the fact that fearsome is countered by a character stats as opposed to, you know, uh, a prohibitive keyword. Like that's the difference between fearsome and elusive. And if you ask me, elusive should just cease to exist and fearsome should be the new elusive like oh play a fearsome deck and then chump blockers can't chump block you know and and you just don't it doesn't feel like you really need elusive in this game and so i would if it was me and they're not going to do this no but if it's it was too me, big of a shift right well i mean it's in beta i would like to think this is a great excuse to do it but if if it's me i'm completely reworking elusive to do something else and yeah that's going to mean changing some of the cards um, and, and I don't know, I, I think, um, I'm trying to think of like what elusive, uh, could change to be. And, you know, maybe I'll think about that. Maybe, maybe next week we both come with a different idea for elusive. Oh, you know what I, I mean? I mean, that that's our challenge. I'm, I'm making it official. Uh, now I've lost to a lot of elusive decks because I was playing a deck that combated everything in the meta except elusives. Like my Ash yeah, deck didn't problem. didn't beat elusives, and so I was struggling with elusives. But I actually think there was a time when I thought elusives were a pretty big deal because it was just like everyone just threw Ionia in the deck and then ran an elusives package. That hasn't been the case so much. I found that the the meta right now, I'm not going to say it's solved. I think there's some things to discover yet, but it's a lot closer to solved today than it has ever been, which makes sense. But we sort of have like the Zed Elusive deck that's risen to the top, the sort of Hecarim Elise mid-range Shadow Isles deck with some fearsome kit in it that's risen to the top. We've seen Ezreal in two forms rise to the top, and then we've seen the, the Karma... Um, Heimerdinger deck sort of rise and then yeah. there's this new ultra aggressive Noxus Poltover and Zahn PNZ deck that is running sometimes Jinx sometimes Draven sometimes Teemo yeah. um, that one still has some room for refinement but I've been playing one that is running uh, Darius in it and uh, mm-hmm. and that deck is also sort of making an appearance so I, I don't know when we talk tonight I think Oftentimes, in a in a meta, there's not a good deck of aggro, a good deck that's mid-range, and a good deck that's control. And it seems like you have at least one or two options in each of those areas right now to build yeah, I, what would be top my, decks. My criticism of Elusive has literally zero to do with the meta. My criticism of Elusive is 100% design flaw. Just like it's just you know, not interactive. It enough. could be it could be bad. It could like elusive could be in a bad place um in terms of balance, and I'd still think that the mechanic is poor. Um you like denying interaction is not necessarily bad, um, but when it becomes a game that you win or lose predominantly in deck building, especially when a card pool um is both small but also uh faction based uh you have like um a prohibitive faction so if if not every faction has multiple elusives then no one should have elusives it would Mm -hmm. be one thing if everyone had elusive and it was like it permeated all the different factions but because it doesn't um a lot of times the problem with elusive and yeah you can tech things 
to beat elusive but the inherent just like in magic the inherent idea of flying right and elusive is that if you don't run what i'm running um you can't combat it through combat but this is a game and i that and the biggest criticism of the game has been there isn't enough board interaction for what is a really fun game to have board interaction on right um and so one of the cool things about this game is that you have all of these um you know combat tricks which turns some people off but i actually happen to really enjoy even when i lose the combat trick war because the fun thing for me is watching the other person's mana and understanding what they could have what they do have access to okay yeah. they play this card that means they can't play this other one that's enjoyable it's for like a me, mini game least. each round sometimes yeah yeah mm -hmm. yeah uh but when you can't go to combat to do all those cool things um it really kind of limits um the enjoyment of the game even if you end up killing them off through other effects, even if you end up, you know, so you're forced to either uh, join them, which that's not, that's not how you want a game to be played. Uh, or you're forced to tech heavily against them and reduce your matchups in other places. I mean, in my opinion, I think teching is a really important thing in competitive card games, but ideally you shouldn't have a, deck that where your win rate where your win rate excuse me is significantly lower against some things and you basically just accept an auto concede and i'm not saying that that is elusives all the time or even right now but it always is going to be in the back pocket for it to exist as such as opposed to fearsome which every faction can have creatures with three attack or more therefore fearsome isn't the problem Right. Yeah, because every faction can interact. I would love for to see them do. So what Magic kind of did was they. Well, introduced... they also are very similar, right? Fearsome, and and elusive. They're basically a different way to accomplish the same thing. So why do we need both? Why don't we take the? Why don't we take what Fearsome does, which is, in my opinion, much more interesting because it, it allows more interactiveness. Because it's not just do I have an elusive. I might have a two cost creature and the only way I'm going to defend is by buffing that, that or not two cost two attack creature. The only way I can defend is by using my buff on that two attack creature uh, instead of holding it for something else or using on mm -hmm. a bigger guy. I think that's interesting, you know? Um, I, and so, and, and you were going to talk about reach, weren't you? Yeah. Cause that's, that's something that I wouldn't mind because, you know, magic the gathering, that was kind of one of those things where like green could not interact with flying at all. And they began introducing reach, which is basically saying like, this would be like saying you don't have elusive, but you can interact with elusives. And I wouldn't mind seeing something uh, in that. You don't like that. I can tell I can hear I, by the groanings. I hate it. I hate that because like I've seen where games something will be very strong, and instead of balancing, and granted, in magic, you can't in magic, the only way you would you would deal with flying is by rotating and saying we're not printing flying anymore mm -hmm. right so i get that physical card games you can't go back and patch um and i'm not even necessarily i don't know my problem is you start do, getting into that design pattern and habit and i've seen ha uh, the the if i want to say i think it was the decipher one the uh star wars game card game i played a little bit of it but i had a lot of friends uh who i played card games with who were a little bit older than me as i came up uh talked about that game and how much they loved it but you know, they always talked about, and it was the same story across the board, uh, that what happened is they would print a, a, a theme or a card that was too strong, and then they would print a counter to it. That it, that 
that this was the card that beats that other card. And so it starts becoming a, you know, I have this thing that beats that other thing, but then here's my silver bullet for that thing. And so like when you start, you know, doing a rock, paper, scissors of silver bullets, it's not fun anymore. And in a much broader sense, if you incorporate a mechanic whose sole purpose is to beat a different mechanic, that mechanic does not develop an identity in and of itself, uh, which is my main complaint about reach. Because at that point, wouldn't it have just been cooler if you had that, if your reach creature, that that spider with a web, you know, from a, not from a theme perspective, but from a, you know, balance perspective that green player wants to do the cool thing that that blue player can do right um and so there's that battle between faction identity and having faction specific you know or color specific in the case of magic uh, abilities but then there's the matter of they have to be be able to be handled by all the different colors maybe not not perfectly right but you have to have access to ways to handle it and elusive is just too far in that other direction um, and just the way I think flying is and printing something like a reach effect is boring in my opinion. And I think it leads them down this rabbit hole of something's broken instead of fixing what's broken, we'll patch it with a bandaid, um, that ceases those other factions from developing naturally on their own. Hmm. Um, that's my opinion on it. Yeah. I think, I think we'll have to agree to disagree on this one. Okay. <laughs> here, 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 here's my thing because I don't think that elusive is a problem. I like well, that's what I'm saying. Like, I, so that's where I'm coming I, like, from, right? I don't even dislike it from a design perspective, though. Oh, see, wow. And, okay. and yeah, so, we're very off then. <laughs> like, I don't even dislike it from a design perspective. And what I like about creating a keyword that interacts with elusive but isn't elusive is a way of saying, listen, you want to play Noxus, right? And Noxus does not have elusives because it isn't part of the theme and it's preserving the identity of that particular class. We're going to give you cards that can interact with elusive without giving you elusives because we don't we don't want to blur. Like Ionia and these other factions in, in P and Z have elusives because that is part of their their faction identity we don't want to just spread them all over the place but we do want to give other factions the ability to interact with it still i understand what what you're saying but yeah but then what happens is that those factions that have elusives where if they say okay elusives are a problem but you know we're going to give we're going to put a bunch of text on cards and noxus that stop elusive we're going to give them reach or we're going to give them true sight or whatever sight that's whatever we're going to call it, right? The problem then is that you develop Noxus in a reactive format. You basically say, okay, Noxus is, uh, they're losing to um, Ionia because they can't handle Eleusis. Well, we're going, to, we're going to react to that by giving them things that handle the thing that they're losing to, right? Meanwhile, over in Ionia, if you're taking that route, you're on the premise that, well, Ionia, the elusives is fine. We'll just give everyone else an answer to it. And then you print new things in Ionia. So now Ionia starts getting all these new interesting ways to play where meanwhile Noxus is playing catch up hmm. because instead of building new mechanics and archetypes, you're reacting to the previous meta and spending precious card slots that could be used to explore new ways to play the game on solving the faction's problems against a very specific thing. So I have major 
major problems with the reach approach and would instead love to see elusive maybe even have maybe not delete elusive but have a condition like fearsome you know fearsome says well they can't defend if they don't have three attack elusive just says they can't defend so you know unless they have elusive right and so like instead of something can't defend unless it has elusive something can't defend unless it has whatever you know it's interesting i mean i think we're talking about Magic the Gathering back in the day, back in the days of Torment. There was in <laughs> there, there is actually something that's printed that's almost identical to this. It's it was called Shadow. And shadow creatures can only be blocked by other creatures with shadow, which is almost identical to Elusive. And as far as I'm aware, for many, many years, like they abandoned that mechanic. They left it. It was never super strong, but they abandoned it. But I can tell you, when I started playing Magic the Gathering, there was nothing more frustrating than my buddy's deck that had two creatures with shadow in it that I just couldn't do anything about, ever. Right. Couldn't interact with them. This is, we're, are we comfortable? Like, we're way off of the direction that we were headed. Yeah, that's true. Is that okay? I mean. I mean, I don't care. I, I, that's. (laughs) It kind of just sort of spiraled, and we started talking about like design philosophy yeah. here, which and again, does I, connect not... to this article that they released. So that's okay. Yeah, sure. Well, let's get into that that article then. Okay, so they released an article, basically, Riot did talking a little bit about some of the things that they've noticed in the beta. It is really interesting, and you can actually find a link to it in our Discord right now, or in the Runeterra Discord, it's it's there um, too. And they basically gave us a, a tremendous, I don't know, I think it's a lot of information about sort of like different things that they're doing. and But more than that, it's kind of been like, where is their mindset at? And um, I, have, I found that really interesting. So there's a lot of uh, really cool stuff that they've sort of introduced and, and talked about in here. They talked about the economy and the progression, which is something we've never talked about, but I do want to. They sort of talked about where the meta is, the overall game, what they've been seeing in the open beta, some of the stuff that they're planning on improving, and then also looking a little bit into the future about what they want to be doing next, which might be some of the most interesting things um that we've we've seen so far so uh even to the point where they're saying hey our next sneak peek may be looking at some of the stuff for mobile and um some new cards from a potential new set of cards that they want to bring out which uh is always exciting for players to hear about potential new cards but maybe the thing that was the most interesting to me is their continual commitment to go in, tweak cards that seem bad to make them better, to update cards monthly um, in order to tweak around and, and keep the meta a little bit unpredictable, and then to consistently release new cards and new content infused into the meta in order for it to remain, you know, unsolved. Um, I think that's one of the most interesting things from this article that I read and encouraging just how much information they gave us. Um, They're looking at card win rates. They're looking at play rates. Um, They mentioned Callista in here as kind of an example of something that they don't want to see happening, um, which is like a a hero or a champ that is, is not only not good, but also doesn't have a tremendous amount of identity. Um, and then they even mentioned that Shadow Isles is a bit overtuned right now. Um, so uh, they talked about the Elnuk uh, problem too. 
um, and, and sort of like the RNG that comes out of that that we talked about with Charmer. It just shows that they've been listening to the community, um, and uh, and I, I really appreciate that. I think it's a great article. Um, DBN, did you have stuff from it that was encouraging or, or discouraging to you uh, as you sort of made your way through this it, it's quite a bit it's quite a bit of information yeah well first off it was very encouraging that they bothered to write this all out um we've talked about it before and other games that we've played have not always been as upfront with um not just information because obviously they'll make announcements whenever there's something to announce um, but this kind of forthrightness when it comes to what they feel is going well what they feel is not um and kind of a you know being able to admit i think not failure but room for improvement is something that i very rarely see corporate entities uh doing and i think it's something that personally endears me to them all the more even if i don't agree with where they eventually end up right um so like they talk about the things that they've done that they really like uh, champions, I totally agree. I think champions are one of the most interesting things to me when, in fact, when I first heard about the game, those were the things that uh, interested me the least. Uh, I, I was very skeptical at how champions would play out, so it you know, proves me wrong. Um, but I also think there's something to be said for like the way it, it hasn't felt as blowouty as I expected Riot to make their, you know, the it's the champions from League of Legends, for God's sake. I expected this to be like absolutely hearthstone levels bonkers powerful like legendaries in hearthstone uh, and in fact it hasn't been that way they've i've found champions to be um you know quite not tame but you know influential but never quite to the point where um at least holistically they are uh, completely warping the game in a bad way yeah they're sort um, of influ more influential than on most of the cards of your deck but they're not like if you draw them you win if your opponent doesn't they lose well so listen the thing i really liked about hearthstone at certain times was that there were certain cards that would encourage you to play a specific way like quests i you know a lot of people dished on quests in hearthstone but i actually quite liked them i think they really would have done better to have done lots of different quests right um you know, multiple quests instead of just kind of shoehorning one every rotation um but i always thought that that was a really cool way to reward playing a specific way and i think that we see champions sort of moving uh, or sort of touching on that direction but without committing so hard that they're then useless in other play styles now that's not completely true uh for every uh champion but they they acknowledge that too they talk mm -hmm. about um Callista and Shen and I think Vlad, Vlad yeah. they talk about how these, you know, Vlad and Shen in particular seem to only perform uh, in certain, the very specific play style and those play styles aren't, you know, performing well competitively and that they want to do more potentially do more either to increase the strength of those archetypes that they're intended to be in uh, or uh, alternatively look to widen the focus of those characters, those champions, um, so that they're a little bit more applicable and they might see play and more generalized perspective uh, in other decks. Because, uh, I mean, if you look at something like, I'm trying to think of a good a good example here that proves my point. Um, like, well, we talked about this earlier, right? Um, Hecarim. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Hecarim can go in pretty much any Shadow Isles deck and it's, it's never going to be bad because the card is just good good on its own right i mean i i would argue that like if you look at all this i'd say hecarim 
um i would probably say like zed is yeah, just a that was, solid that was gonna be solid character one. yeah i mean at least you kind of have to build around and most of them it seems you have to build around at least to a small extent i think jinx is actually one that uh is fairly good uh on her own mm-hmm. because of the quick attack and then yeah if you run out of cards boom all of a sudden things are looking a little bit better but regardless of four mana four three quick attack is not too terrible um, but so so like that's kind of what I'm getting at here. But a lot of the other ones, they force you to play specific ways uh, or in the case of something like Darius. Right. I think Darius is a really good kind of entry level um, champion and one that you do receive. I think you get one. Yeah, Darius, on Garen, both of them. Yeah, Darius and Garen, like they, their utility or not utility, excuse me, um, their applicability is very wide. You can use mm-hmm. them in a lot of different decks. And so if you ever have that extra champion slot, well, putting a five mana five, five with regeneration that has upside is not a bad call, right? The same no, with Darius uh-uh. with overwhelm. It's not a bad call. And so those guys sacrifice um, utility for flexibility. And then, you know, I, so I like that there's, you know, variation in the way the champions uh, play and the way they yes. influence deck building. But if you go too specific, like we have uh, with like Shen and Vlad Vlad. Shen, mm-hmm um Callista is just kind of bad in my opinion but uh well if they you go even too kind specific, of specific you run the risk of them never seeing play yeah they even kind of say that i mean the thing with shen and, and vlad is like if you're playing vlad you have to play self-damage if you're playing shen you have to play barrier whereas there are cards like heimerdinger where yes heimerdinger is a build around card you don't want to play heimerdinger in a non-control deck without spells because he interacts with spells but it doesn't matter where the spells are coming from. Exactly, exactly. The spells, yeah. you can kind of work your way around that and play it with a couple of different factions, whereas the other ones, not so much. But here's the thing that's so encouraging to me. They've seen it, right? They've mm-hmm. identified it. They've said, hey, we've listened to you. We noticed that Vlad and Shen are okay in the decks that they're built around, but they're not as uh, they're not as versatile as some of the other champions at a similar power level. We've noticed that yep. Callista, not only does she doesn't really have an identity, but she also isn't good. And we plan to probably do something about that. And uh, and yep. I, I like that. I, I like the fact that they've been just really open about the fact that, hey, we've done some stuff that are good. We've done some stuff that we don't love. Here are some of the statistics that we're keeping an eye on that throw up red flags for us. So we're not playing guesswork because there was so often in in Legends of Runeterra and even in Hearthstone where you were saying, how do they figure out what card gets the nerf and what card gets the buff or what card? How do they figure that out? We don't know. And they're kind of saying, okay, hey, here, here are some of the parameters around us that says, hey, this is we're, we're red flagging this card as being a potential problem and i i really like that i think that that is i just love information like i thoroughly just enjoyed reading this article and kind of seeing where the devs heads are understanding a little bit about the fact that hey they actually care about the meta even the fact that they're saying like when we examine the meta we're looking mostly at diamond and above players like Mm -hmm. this is where we're looking at the yeah. core, and, and in so many other games I've played, they're like, well, we look at the, the grand swath of players, they're saying, well, Callista doesn't have a bad win rate against people who don't play ranked matches. <laughs> you know, yeah. well, sure, but Callista doesn't even see play in, you know, in, in plat or diamond and above. So I love the I fact mean, that you... they're even honest about that. 
Do you remember when we had CVH on back in season one? Uh, CVH, for those who are unfamiliar, awesome guy, uh, mm-hmm. the community manager for the Elder Scrolls Legends. Uh, he came on, and uh, I, I had kind of like uh, messaged him previously asking for some fun trivia to go over. Um, or actually, and so like, or we talked to him about trivia, and then the next week I got that trivia for our. Uh, following guest which i want to say uh was Silverfuse, uh or it was endozoa but whichever doesn't yeah. matter uh, one of the fun facts uh was that uh across all play one of the most played cards was the mundus stone and i know the legends players don't know that but basically it was a super greedy rng fun card it mm-hmm. wasn't a card that had any legitimate like com- competitive integrity to it right but it was played across the entire like all ranks it was one of the top played cards period end of conversation right um and and so like you have to kind of if you're looking to balance the game in such a way that promotes competitive integrity and kind of gives you useful data about what truly is strong you need to look at that higher end now you don't want to go too high and too specific because then you neglect innovation but I think you do need to look at that top bracket of players who are taking the game very seriously and understand enough, not just that something is strong, but how to counter something that is strong. And so if they have that understanding that, okay, elusives are a problem, or, you know, and I'm just saying that because we we're talking about it earlier, if elusives are a problem, okay, what's my next step to deal with elusives? Okay, well, I need to get this, that, and this and, and accomplish that. And if it's still not working, then you get more useful data. Okay, people are trying to counter this, and and in order to do so, they have to swing their deck so wildly over here, and their you know win rates decline against all these other matchups. Well, we don't like how how much it's warping, uh, you know that competitive integrity. So we're going to do something about it. But if you look at across you know those lower ranks, uh, you start getting people that they're losing because they don't know how to play against. They they're losing because they don't know the cards, mm-hmm. right? And that's or don't have bad access data to the cards. Needs, right. Well, and that's bad data that needs to be thrown out because those people, let's be real, they're important and we value those players. Um, and technically right now I'm one of those players, <laughs> uh, but we, and we value them, you know, but they don't influence the way that the game works. Yeah. And you want to have right? a good meta for the people who are going to be competitive because they're going to be, Oh, listen, we can get good, into so and like, a good right. meta, a good meta trickles down. Yeah, in my opinion, it seems to trickle down to overall, you know, maybe not happiness, but content Mm -hmm. uh, with the game, which Um, and I think it's a great idea to keep your eye on problematic cards in every area of the of the game. I mean, if there's a card that is legitimately making low level play absolutely no fun and people aren't sticking to the game because of this deck, even if it's not a good deck, but at that point, Sure, do you want to make some adjustments? You probably do. I don't know exactly what that looks like, but I'm glad that they're taking most of their data and information from high rank play. I just yeah, think no, that that's okay, a good like, thing. I've listen, I am the biggest advocate of if a card is not fun, even if it's not broken, you should do something about it. Looking at you, Hallowed Death Priest. Okay. <laughs> um, if a card is just not fun, if everyone's miserable, why have that? It benefits no one. Um, 
because if it's if you're really using that card to serve as a as a counter to a specific playstyle, just print another card that does that achieves that goal, uh, or change the cards that achieves that goal in a in a more engaging, more interesting, uh, and enjoyable way. Um, so I'm totally with you on that. If something's really unfun, do something about it. But that that's not really what these guys touched on in, in this in this uh, post. But I will say there was one thing that I did find very interesting. Yeah. Uh, they were kind of talking about champion updates and talking about Callista and all that. And then at the end, uh, they say we look. Uh, they're talking about Callista, how it doesn't have a clear home, but struggles by simply not being effective or having an unrealizable, unrealizable. I think that is a really good way of stating it. Gameplay dream, basically saying there is a world in which Callista works in a dope way, but it's not able. It doesn't to be exist. Enacted. Yet. It's it like it exists, but it can't be enacted anywhere near consistently enough to make this worth playing, right? Um, so they responded by saying, for this type of problem, we generally look more at updating the champion itself. And then there are what we call consumptive champions whose level up dreams involve dot 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 destroying your opponent's dreams, looking at you, Yasuo and Ezreal. <laughs> uh, which I enjoyed that they that they kind of talked about the what we were talking about earlier. Uh, or what I mentioned, which was that the the way like some uh, champions exist to be consistent and flexible and some exist uh, to be win conditions and others exist to supplement win conditions like they the champions have different purposes, different roles, which is kind of cool from the MOBA perspective because you have hard carries and supports yep, and yep, junglers yep. and offlaners and they serve different roles. I think that's kind of a cool homage, if you ask me, even if it's not a particularly, you know, hard one to sell to ccg players but uh, and they said while we're not planning to rework either of the champs in the future we're being careful uh, excuse me we're being careful about how we design champs like that going forward uh and are keeping a close eye on existing champs that fall into this category so the the champions that serve as win conditions in and of themselves ezreal yasuo um they are being careful about printing more champions as those win conditions and i think that's wise because i i you see um that that starts to get a little hearthstoney like oh i got my you know big strong legendary and my big strong legendary wins me the game and so like i i do think i do like that champions should influence the way you build your decks but you need to be you need to be careful I'm not saying they shouldn't be mm-hmm. you need to be careful about when they are a win condition in and of itself and i think that's really good to hear them say that yeah i think they've it, it just shows how much they've learned and that's exciting to me. You know, they're they're not being passive about this. They're taking it seriously. And I, I love that. And the amount of information that we get here, you know, just, just my hat's off to, to the Riot team. I don't know if anybody from their team listens to the podcasts that are being made about the show. I, I hope that they do because we're a form of feedback. But um, I like this, and I would love to see more things like this. The last thing I'll say about it is this. Um, if you are someone who loves cosmetics, which we know there's a lot of people out there that do, I do, but I haven't bought any yet because I'm waiting to see cool stuff come out. I want to see what they're going to do. But they said they're going to expand cosmetic lines. So not just boards and um, and guardians, but we're looking at card backs, emotes, um, and card styles, which I'm imagining is probably meaning sort of like artwork or skins for different champions that we had talked about before. So we are going to see some some new personalization options which is pretty cool. We're not just going to have boards and guardians. The other thing that's in the news is that the Singapore region accidentally 
or maybe not so accidentally has been um, given the mobile client. Hmm. If you relocate yourself to Singapore uh, in <laughs> in like your address or your region or whatever, um, you can get access to the Runeterra client and it will work for you on your Runeterra account. Don't do that. It's not advisable. If you want to lose your Runeterra account, that's a great way to do it. Um, but uh, I, I don't know how they're going to react to this. But uh, sometime yesterday, it, it sort of broke, and then it, it, it has continued. But um, I, I, there's been some people who've messed around with it, and I, I guess it looks beautiful. So there's some sort of uh, visual glitches and stuff that they are clearly are still working on and need to pan out. But I guess mm -hmm. the it runs smooth, and, and it looks fantastic. And sort of like the where they've put buttons and stuff and, and how they've interacted with stuff is really cool. So that came out over Reddit. Um, and and it was confirmed. It's it's not just like you know potentially bad news, um, but because there's someone from our Discord who did it. So <laughs> so I know I know that there. I, he said like you you can jump on and and play right now. So that's kind of interesting. It it shows that maybe they're closer to the mobile release than I thought they were. Um, because I didn't really expect them to be super close to it, but I I guess they're. They're closer than I thought they were, which is kind of exciting as well, because I will have a much higher chance of hitting high ranks if this comes out on mobile. Because I, yeah. I will definitely I, honestly, play it. Honestly, I would end up playing a lot more, too. I mean, I want to play, but it's like I have to wait till I get home, and then I need to, you know, uh, be able to sit down and kind of get comfortable. I will say that's one thing that, like, I've been having, you know, since kind of backing down my streaming and stuff like that. I do find myself sitting at my computer a lot less overall. Um, I think because I have that kind of work association with my desktop, mm. you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like I associate my desktop with work and, and getting stuff done and accomplishing. So I think I find it like subconsciously a little bit hard to sit down and just play. Yeah. You know what I mean, play without a purpose. Um, and so like I, I do I will say I, I found that to be something of a um yeah, an unfortunate side effect of doing streaming and, and YouTube for so long uh that now I kind of resort to my phone to kind of play card games and relax. For fun, yeah. For fun, right. And so I mean when I, I've actually I probably played about as much um, you know, maybe uh, Mythgard and it was only because that's the one I have on my phone. Mm -hmm. You know? Not yeah. that I don't like Mythgard. I do like Mythgard. It's a, it's a different thing. Um, but, like, I would have rather played more Legends so I could, you know, have more data and have more things to talk about on the show, you know. So I, I'm really excited for that, too. And I will say one thing that was noticeably missing, like, kind of last point here. I, I might have missed it, but I don't think I did. One thing that I did I say was noticeably missing was they didn't say the word tournament uh, anywhere. They do talk about new modes of gameplay. They, they talk about new modes. But I think it's very relevant that they didn't say anything about a tournament mode. Yeah, not even a tournament like a client tournament mode or spectator mode. Um, That's true. I think they didn't if say they had the, said the word mode. spectator mode, I would have been uh, pretty thrilled. And I would have been even more thrilled if they said on the horizon, if they mentioned anything about upcoming, you know, Riot sponsored tournaments. Now, I don't know. I have not, like I said, I've been a little checked out here, and I, I'm hoping to get connected. You know what we, I, what we need to do? We need to get a tournament correspondent for the show, who's like really up on the tournament on. scene. Exactly right, because you know now that I'm 
at least until I get the time to start playing in them, <laughs> uh, I am I am not gonna I'm gonna be woefully uh, out of out of touch with uh, what tournaments and if they're sponsored and whatever. Um, but I, I I will say that that was something that's the only thing I think you asked me uh, things I didn't like. That was the only thing I didn't like. It was not what was there, but what wasn't there. That's interesting. I didn't think of that. Well, just to tell you a little bit about a tournament, uh, we we have been invited to a battle of the podcasters. <laughs> a battle of the podcasters. I, I don't really know what's going to come of that. Uh, I got to message back and forth with uh, with someone from another show that wants to throw a little tournament stream tournament together um, for 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 the podcasters to sort of, I don't know, work together a, a bit i don't i don't know exactly what that's going to look like or um if and when it's going to happen but uh, we'll be sure to let everyone on the show know if we're going to be in a battle of the podcasters runeterra tournament um bring in, <laughs> i am so not ready for that bring in some vlad deck <laughs> just bring in a whole mess of vlad it, dbn just brings okay. three vlad decks i bring three ash decks that's <laughs> yeah there we go right yeah vlad that's and every we'll color have. yeah yeah vlad and all of well, them well you know i mean i actually so the last uh the lmao tournament that i played in the last time i just brought three meme decks and i i made it a couple rounds in so <laughs> <laughs> made it further than me and i didn't bring just meme decks so uh well yeah no because you casted that didn't you i did i casted your tournament on that yeah, i, ca right. I casted that, that was, round that was fun um, I played in the following week, and I, I got beat by the guy who ended up winning in, in round one. So hey, I, no I shame there. Yeah, no I don't. If you beat, get beat by the guy who wins, I feel okay about that. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's like it's like the team that always seems to well, not this year, but the team that always seems to lose to the Patriots in the divisional round. You never you never like say they're a bad team. No, you know? they just it's lost. just like no, it's okay. You know, they all they lost to the Patriots. Really bad seating. You know. Yes, just. <laughs> Poor RNG there. Just poor RNG. There you go. Yeah, they just, yeah. So we did Those have a pages. question. Uh, we did have a question that came in last week that we didn't get to address because we didn't get a chance to record a full episode um, like oh. we're doing right now. But basically mm -hmm. the question came in. It was like, hey, could you guys go over a little bit of like um, what the difference is between aggro and mid-range and control decks? Um, and actually, I think this is a subject that we covered back in season one because we talked about it at length when it came to Elder Scrolls Legends, in which there was really a fourth category that maybe doesn't truly exist in this, which was combo decks, right? So you sort of had combo, control, mid-range, and aggro. We really have... There's not a true, true combo deck yet in in the in Legends of Runeterra, but... Um, uh, DBN, do you want to kick us off with just a, a rough overview, and then I'll chime in about what are the what are the key differences that you look for to determine what is an aggro, what is a mid range, and what is a control deck? And then we should probably talk just briefly about what blurs some of those lines because there are some lines that get blurred there sometimes. I learned that in class. <laughs> Yeah, sure, sure. So, um, well, the first thing really is that when you look at aggro, mid-range, and control, they are very broad archetypes. Yes. Um, now, typically, aggro is pretty easy to detect, um, but one of the things that I think we need to kind of back up for a second before we talk about what they are, what we need to address is why it's important to understand. Um, one of the things we have a lot of listeners who have played a lot of different card games, right? And so some of this, they're going to kind of, you guys might glaze your eyes over a little bit, but I still think it's important to kind of touch on the basics again of why, why discuss this, right? Mm -hmm. um, 
and, and part of it comes from it comes from two things. You need to know your own deck's game plan when you build a deck. Um, and this is something I, I dealt with a lot of new players in Elder Scrolls Legends uh, quite frequently who would ask me to look at their decks, uh, ask me to check out, you know, and, and give them feedback. And one of the things I commonly saw uh, was a lack of identifying their game plan in the design process right understanding they would say we've got all these combos right this card pairs with this card in a really cool way and i'd say yeah that's awesome now how are you going to win the game mm -hmm. and they'd say well we'll just um get our opponent to zero and i'm like i mean yeah ideally yes sure uh but that is but how you win is, that is how you win the game uh, but the kind of the route that you take to get there is something that ideally is largely planned out. Uh, something that you have an impression of about when you want to be when, in, uh, when uh, <clears throat> ending the game, about when you want to be ending the game, about what kind of uh, board state will generate that for you, and what kind of tools are going to exist uh, that are either going to either help you advance that win condition uh from your side of the board uh, or mitigate your opponent's win condition on their side of the board so uh that's kind of you need to know your game plan but then the other thing is identifying your opponent's game plan more importantly identifying your opponent's game plan relative to yours one of the simplest things that actually helped me out and i played a lot of competitive card games before and i'd never really defined this in my head um but, uh, you know, I'd always kind of just done it intuitively. And I'm, I'm a very intuitive player. Uh, it's something that when I've received uh, coaching, uh, you know, from competitive players in the past, um, one of the things that they always said was, hey, you, you play very instinctively and your instincts are usually correct, but there's some theory that you need to brush up on. Um, and that's something that I think it's fun to be aware of what your strengths and weaknesses are as a card player, but that's not what we're talking about. Um, but you, you can play really instinctively, but one of the things that helped me a ton uh, was watching Bradford Lee, and, and this is a common magic thing that he already, you know, it's this is something you hear in magic too. Um, but I didn't play Magic, uh, which is when you play a game, you need to identify, are you the aggressor or the controller? And that doesn't mean, are you playing a control deck or are you playing an aggro deck? Yep. Rather, you need to understand where your deck paces itself compared to the other deck. And that brings us to our first point, uh, which is fast versus slow, right? Yep. Um, aggro decks are... are almost always fast decks rather they want to keep the pace of the game uh quick they want to end the game quickly before bigger threats uh board clears like avalanche or reckoning uh can come down uh and they want to play a lot of uh typically not always but they want to play um mana efficient cards uh that typically are, are higher in the stat pools or have you know impactful abilities that will lower the opponent's uh, uh life total so for instance um and this is a really cool thing while we're talking on aggro uh both two decks can both be fast but they're going to approach that in a different way so if you look at the noxus um uh, piltover and zon build that actually charmer and i uh kind of were were jamming about uh, when we had charmer on uh that deck doesn't always have super uh stat effective or uh, stat efficient creatures uh, but those creatures end up kind of going for a more burn and bursty approach right so just because you're playing creatures that aren't super stat efficient uh doesn't mean you can't also be playing a fast 
deck, a deck that wants to burst your opponent down quickly. Um, but so so that that's fast. And, and the thing about fast too is like your win condition doesn't have to be, you know, get your opponent to zero as fast as possible. That can be a win condition. Um, but uh, one of the things Indozoa like to say is that sometimes, and most of the time, you know, an aggro deck, uh, at least a traditional one, uh, it's not about getting your opponent to zero as fast as possible. It's about building a board state that your opponent cannot stabilize from. Yes. Building a board state that your opponent cannot come back from. And then eventually you will inevitably win the game. Right. And that tends to come more in the form of decks that have very stat effective creatures, one mana, two twos, you know, two mana, uh, mm -hmm. three fours. And typically you'll see them. Uh, and despite the aggro tag of wanting to be aggressive, you'll often see defensively statted creatures. So if you have a, a three mana, three, four aggro decks tend to really like those uh, because they will survive more trades. Now, obviously, Legends of Runeterra, uh, both due to the spell mana system, as well as the kind of trade tricking system. I don't feel like we've seen a particularly potent um, kind of curve out aggro uh that yeah they've similar been a lot of to like, elder scrolls a tremendous amount of one drops like, yeah. just a lot of one drops a lot of effects that hit face maybe the closest that you come to that in in this would be um sort of like the tribal deck that runs elites um the, yeah. the tribal yeah. elites deck is a fast it's a fast paced deck it doesn't want to go late game it doesn't have a tremendous amount most of them don't have a tremendous amount of late game threats and they do want to curve out every round playing the most effective minion and benefiting from one another in a tribal sense until they're they're just going to push you down as quickly as they can with overwhelming force and they want to build a board that you can't respond to and that you can't recover from by their their buffing and interacting with one another i think that's yeah, probably actually, the closest that's a to great example an, an aggressive yeah, I think deck so. it's not the strongest deck but that deck definitely does that and does it really really well when it kind of, and it fits that mold that people tend to associate with some of the other games yeah no that's a great example actually i hadn't thought of that one but yeah so so and, and back to, so back to the fast thing we've already kind of established that yeah, mm -hmm. you can have fast in a couple different ways right yep yep, um, yep. and aggro by definition is always fast yeah it has to um, be I, i'm sure somewhere there's an example of a slower paced aggro deck uh but i i can't think of it so i mean these rules are not true law okay they are general rules mm -hmm. uh, so don't you know don't they're, assume they're you a, a slow bit aggro of like deck a sliding scale up. right and you sort yeah, well, of yeah you sort of are going to well, look at a couple of these sure. slow fast a couple of other ones and you're going to sort of look at this sliding scale and as you sort of choose where your deck lines on that sliding scale is going to sort of end up determining which of these three broad categories you are more a part of than others right well and, and yeah and it helps you kind of understand how to play out your game plan once you see where you are on those sliding scales which kind of i want to run back to what i said at the be you know the beginning of this aggro discussion which was understanding are you the aggressor uh, or are you the controlling player because if you take uh an aggro deck uh that is much lower to the ground a lot of you know small one drops they want to burst you down as fast as possible yep. if that's their game plan and your game plan is to establish a board state that your opponent cannot come back from because those are, you know, those are kind of your win conditions. And even though you fit within the archetype, this broad shell of aggro, you may have different goals of winning the game, right? Um, and so, if you are looking at, I'm this elites deck, and I've got my opponent playing this crazy Bernie, you know, fast Noxus build, 
um, you may have to say, wow, I'm actually the controlling player here. Mm -hmm. If left, you know, undisrupted, my opponent uh, can ignore my attacks and win the game before I can. Yeah, they can so raise me. So that forces you. Yeah, it becomes a race. It forces you into the, you know, and, and of course that can change. You can flip the board and then race them, you know, but your default setting of who is faster is going to be one of the first things you should ask yourself in a game. And the more you, you play the game, the more you'll get an idea of, okay, I'm seeing these mm -hmm. champs uh, on their deck. You know, I, I know that that's probably indicates that they're playing Dawn speakers or elusives or whatever and understanding that pacing. Okay, so so there we have slow versus fast. Um, then you also have proactive uh, versus reactive. Yep. And that's a really important deck axis. And, and Endozoa has a great lecture. Uh, the, the quality is, is just okay. I love Endo, but, you know, the quality is just okay. But it's super informative. Uh, somewhere on his channel uh, from back in the Tesla days, it kind of breaks down these axes of you know, slow and fast uh, and proactive and, and reactive. Um and so a lot of times uh, what you'll see is you'll see a deck like – I want to give you a great example of um, uh, uh, like Spiders. Mm -hmm. Spiders tends to want to play pretty aggressively, but they have a lot of tempo-controlling elements, things like uh, Vile Feast, right? So Vile Feast serves as this tempo controller. It establishes a little bit more tempo for you and that you get another 1-1, one, one, right? But it also is stopping your opponent from effectively building that board that would control them. Yep. So that's a reactive tool. Now, a, a proactive tool would be a creature that comes down and is, is very heavily statted or an elusive creature, actually. I would generally categorize as a proactive tool because it's that understanding of I am advancing my game plan here – uh, by playing this card and I'm forcing my opponent to react to it as opposed to me reacting to my opponent. So you can be an aggressive, fast deck that has reactive tools because those tools are in there to cement your advantage, your early advantage. So Black Spear, Vile Feast, Elise when she's upgraded. Those yes, are things uh -huh. that they should help you close out a game faster uh, but they they you know they have that ability to control the tempo and stop your opponent from doing what they want, which is getting value trades. Yeah, I think um, a really so great example where you are that, there is important. I think a really great example of that is Frenzied Skitterer. This is the three mana three three spider that lowers mm -hmm. your opponent's attacks by one and increases your spider's attacks by one. This is a really great. It can be it can be used in two different ways. It can be really proactive to get your fearsomes through some three attack minions that you dropped two, and it can be really reactive to be able to drop some of your opponent's creatures down so that you can trade more effectively. I think another thing that is incredibly interesting, and this is why I'm playing Ash so much right now, is Ash is a card that does an incredible job of flipping and allowing you to change your game plan. So let's take Harsh Winds, for example. Harsh Winds is a six mana Frostbite two creatures. This is a very reactive tool, typically. This is something that you're trying to stop them and trying to trick trades back in your favor, super reactive. As soon as Ash levels up and she attacks, anything that has Frostbite is not allowed to block. Suddenly, Harsh Winds moves from a reactive tool to a proactive tool, where now I want to get damage through and I'm going to Harsh Winds my opponent's creatures so that they can no longer block with them. And I think that is a really interesting thing because Ash allows you to flip the axis on your Frostbite actions, your Frostbite things, that would typically be reactive, now they become proactive once she levels up and is attacking. Um, and I think that's one of the most interesting things because it takes half your deck and flips the axis 
between this proactive reactive thing when she levels up i think like that is i think that's a, a pretty good example of how you can see that harsh winds although a reactive card can be used proactively if you have it yeah. in a deck with an ash well right and that's one of the things that like where we talked about right, right at the beginning i talked about you know common mistakes that like new deck builders make and and so even experienced deck builders make this mistake sometimes so it's like you know it's totally something that you can get really excited about certain combos and then fail to see the win condition i remember working with uh neon green sleeves a lot uh, it was a, a frequent uh player uh in elder scrolls legends and someone who hung out on my channel all the time one of my favorite people to see uh, and neon would always come up with these amazing combos and then we'd sit down and mess with it and a lot of times I would throw about 25% of the combos out of the deck because we needed to refine the game plan to kind of make those combos actually lend themselves towards a win condition, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and that's one of the things you have to remember. So in that case, you know, this Ash uh, really kind of makes this uh, one card, Harsh Winds and other cards too, I happen to know, uh, <laughs> makes those uh, the, through, a, you know, this combo allows them to be flipped in a more proactive way, which actually brings us really interestingly uh, to the next uh, segment, which is mid-range. Um, and mid-range is one of the hardest things to pin down. And really, maybe I should do mid-range last, but I think it kind of graduates on the scale. So we'll, we'll touch on mid-range. Yes. And I really have don't have... A, a perfect solution to mid-range in Legends of Runeterra yet. I, I feel like I have this instinct where I know it when I see it. Um, but th the key with mid-range uh, is that typically uh, what a mid-range deck is able to do is it can win against an aggro deck by playing a control game plan. A lot of aggro v aggro matchups even if one is the controlling player by default, a lot of those tend to boil down to getting uh, a more explosive hand or being able to turn the board at a crucial point and then racing from there, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but what mid-range truly can do is take that aggro matchup and it has enough early game controlling tools to slow their roll down uh, and stabilize their health total, stabilize the board, run that, you know deck out of cards which is a traditional control win condition i mean so if you talk about control and this is where combo can sometimes leak into it you can have a control burn deck right which over the course of the game it's going to whittle your health total down to zero and just stop you from doing things in the meantime right mm -hmm. but a lot of control especially in games uh in digital card games which have kind of spawned from like hearthstone and some of its traditions controls just simply wants to run the opponent out of cards so that at a certain point in the yep. game they have more cards in hand and they don't have to play particularly big creatures. They just play enough creatures that over a couple turns, they can chip that opponent down uh, to zero. Now in elder Scrolls legends with the rune system, a lot of times uh, that would get, uh, they tried to mitigate control by allowing these runes to give those cards back to that player that they've run out of cards. Um, so in that situation, uh, control tended to go, okay, I'm going to establish this one big board and swing all at once. Um, and so mid-range allows you to sort of do that. Flip that board, control their hand, um, slow them down enough so that you can establish, um, you know, mana-efficient, proactive plays in later in the game. Yep. Uh, you know, in Runeterra, we're probably looking at, like, turns four through seven. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. So and that's not a strict rule. So I think looking at the proactive-reactive 
model, right? The slider. I think it's, yeah. it, I think that's a really good way to look at this. So an aggro a deck is looking to be proactive from turn one, right? A mid-range deck is often, now this isn't always, but a mid-range deck is often looking to be more a little bit more reactive in the early game, and then they're looking for a point in which they're going to flip the switch, right? And that's one of the hardest parts about piloting mid-range decks. At some point or another, you have to flip the switch and now become the aggressor, right? I was the defender, and now I'm flipping the switch and I'm going to aggress, and I think the in currently in in Legends of Runeterra, the quintessential mid-range card is Hecarim. Right, that's like the quintessential. I'm sort well, of well. That's 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 the that's the. I see what you're getting at. That's like the 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 point where okay, I've stabilized the board and now I drop the the cards that are going to be extremely mana efficient. The cards that are going to say okay, your board is cleared and you're running out of resources. Now this closes the game for me. Mm -hmm. um, but not that so late in the game that you've been sitting around waiting for it. So yes, but but here's the thing about mid range, you know, because before we go too far committing to this idea. There's the other half of mid-range, which is that you also, by definition, have to be able to be the aggressor mm -hmm. against a control opponent and have those tools to be able to do that. So we saw in uh, – we see in other games where you'll tend to have uh, creatures in the early game uh, that can pose a threat if their uh, stats are allowed to go through into damage, uh, but that also are able to effectively either clear through trades uh, or through effects. Like I'm thinking like the Avaros and Marksman, although that's not a perfect example because I don't know how much it actually sees play in mid-range, uh, but something that can come down, have a reactive uh, effect, but still pose a threat based on the body, right? Mm -hmm. Because you need, you're going to need to be able to throw down cards if you run into a control opponent that can push damage through before their big combos come online, right? Um, a lot of uh, mid-range, I, I tend to feel like mid-range in Legends of Ruterra uh, seems to be mana-efficient bodies, kind of like we're, what we're talking about with um, uh, what we're talking about with like kind of uh, curving out aggro, uh, but rather that you have these mana efficient bodies that can also interact with your opponent. So for example, challenger, I think is a really great mid range tool uh, yes. because you're going to be able to play down something like the, the Laurent challenger, right? This three mana two, four, right? Yeah. You can put it down and as an aggro player, you can just throw the damage at face. Yeah. It's not that much damage to go to the face, but you can also pick out value trades to establish a, you know, if your opponent's throwing, you know, let's say they're playing a control uh, Shadow Isles deck and they played a Vile Feast, pinged off something, and now they have a spider. Well, that Laurent Challenger can now go at that spider, remove it, and eventually assemble that board state that your opponent cannot come back from unless they have Ruination. Uh, <laughs> yes, there's always and, that. Uh, right. Uh, establish that board that they cannot come back from, uh, which is a aggressive game plan, even if you're not an aggro deck, right? Uh, or rather an aggressive win condition, excuse me, an aggressive win condition, not an aggressive game plan. Um, and I know there's a lot of weird terminology. I, I tend to think of uh, win conditions as being separate from game plans because game plans kind of denote a lot more to do with how I'm achieving that win condition. I'm going to curve out these early turns. I'm going to slam this big threat. I'm going to upgrade my champion. That's a game plan. Uh, a win condition is much more to do with those simple things of, 
hey, I just bursted my opponent with a couple of, uh, what are they, decimates, uh, and now sure. I won the game, right? Or, okay, I established that big board. Or, okay, I controlled the game long enough and stopped my aggro player, and now I play Hecarim and slowly whittle them down as they're out of cards. Right? Sure. I mean, um, the... So that mid-range deck has to be able to do both. That is the purest definition of mid-range, is that they have to be at least capable, if not comfortable, uh, controlling aggro and aggro in control. Mm. And you've seen a little bit of this sort of, so this is where we've gotten a couple of different terms that not everybody loves, but we've seen mid-range decks can kind of morph a bit, and this is where it gets a little yeah. bit confusing, right? Because you it's can, I, I think kind of like, I, I keep going back, like the, I think the, the deck that most people are, are most familiar with right now, although my, my Ash deck is a mid-range deck, right? Yeah. Um, I think that the one most people are familiar with are sort of like the Elise Hecarim deck. Right. And there's a very aggressive form of it that runs a tremendous amount of fearsomes and Hecarim's kind of its top end. And it is still a mid-range deck, but it's an aggressive mid-range deck. And then there's a slightly more longer range, slightly uh, longer pressure mid-range deck that's not running quite the fearsome package, but it is running the guy that resurrects Hecarim. And you say, okay, you kill my Hecarim, here's my second Hecarim. You kill that Hecarim, here's my third Hecarim. Here's my resurrected Hecarim. And, and, and you just, I've, I've gone games where I have removed three Hecarims, and I just couldn't get rid of the fourth. This deck is keeping consistent pressure. It's still mid-range, but it feels a little bit more controlly. And even in some of those decks, you might see a Vengeance. You might see a single copy of a Ruination. And it doesn't make it a control deck, but it does mean that it is it, mid range is a very very versatile type of deck yeah, that you can play, and there's a lot more freedom in it. I think there's some things that are general rules about kind of like where are you going to hit your power spikes at, right? And when mm -hmm. you're talking about game plan versus how you're going to win the game, I think a great example of that is looking at the Karma Heimerdinger deck versus the Ezreal deck, right? They both have the same general game plan with very different win conditions, right? Mm -hmm. The game plan is slow my opponent down, don't die, level up my heroes, win the game later on. That's their general game plan. Whereas Heimerdinger Karma, they want to do that, but their, their win condition is typically through overwhelming amount of spells that they're getting from Karma, infinite value, or their win condition is putting down a yeah, whole bunch of Infinite value specifically is the important part there, just to chime in. Yeah, infinite like, value. Infinite value is a win condition. Yeah, whereas the, uh, the Ezreal. Ezreal deck is saying, I want to burst you down with a whole bunch of spells yeah, I, with my level up Ezreal. So their win conditions are the same. A burst OTK, that's the win condition. There. Yes, yeah. so their, their win conditions are very different, but their general game plan is very similar. Right, and typically speaking, they both fit into the control, control archetype. Mm -hmm. And now let's let's jump into control, control as if we didn't throw enough vocabulary at you. Archetype, <laughs> game plan, win condition. All of these words. So when we look at when we look at the control archetype, right? Control encompasses uh, typically decks uh, that are slow. So we talked about fast and slow. Mm -hmm. These are decks that are slow. Now, for whatever reason, their win condition. Uh, dictates that they are unable to trigger that win condition until they've reached a certain level of resources, a certain amount of mana, uh, a certain you know, condition that can only be achieved in the later stages of the game. Um, so they have to play the game slower 
uh, indicating thus the, the slow. But you do have proactive and reactive within the control archetype. Um, so typically decks like, uh, we'll say Ezreal, for instance, a lot of the things that uh, those Ezreal decks want to do, not everything, of course, uh, is assemble the pieces to get that win condition. Now yep. they can only pull off that win condition of bursting the opponent down later in the game, and they know that. So they have to play the game slowly. But they have to make enough plays, enough proactive plays to assemble it, mm -hmm. right? But then on the flip side, you can have control decks that all they want to do is sit back and remove, sit back and remove. And typically, this is where you see the win condition be run my opponent out of resources. Yeah, That's a pretty common pairing with a reactive deck. Uh, or, you know, if, if in the case of, um, you know, the Karma deck, which wants to set up this combo where you just infinitely produce resources. Um, that's a little bit of a blend of both. That's somewhere in the middle. A lot of the resources you're producing are slowing the game down, controlling your opponent, but you also have this uh, combo or really not even a combo, just this engine for generating infinite that's value. Eventually your opponent. Huh? That's a great word there. Engine. That's a oh, great engine. word. Yeah. 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 Uh, that eventually you're going to create that infinite value and eventually your opponent can't keep up with that whether they have the cards or not. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, you have to kind of look at that and, and you kind of establish, uh, I've got my archetype, it's control. And that's kind of the last thing you do. You figure, first you figure out your win condition. Yep. You know, and then, and then you plan, you, you plan your game, you put your game plan yeah, together. Got your game plan. And then finally, however that is shaking up tends to be your archetype. And so really, I don't love starting a discussion saying I'm going to build an aggro deck. I mean, we do it, but we typically don't have that vision. We typically have a more precise vision than that. When we say we want to build an aggro deck, we typically mean I want to build a deck that's going to burn them to the ground as fast as possible. Yep. Or I want to build a deck that's going to play out all these high, you know, uh, man-efficient, uh, high-costed, or excuse me, high-statted cards over and over and over. And then they'll just, they won't be ever be able to trade with my guys, mwahaha, right? Mm -hmm. So starting with, oh, I'm going to build an aggro deck, I'm not... I'm not criticizing you for doing that, but I will say it does help to specify that vision that you have, because I bet you have it. I bet you have that vision that is more precise than aggro, which can encompass so many things and control, which can encompass so many things. Instead, focusing that vision does help you both as a deck builder, uh, but also as somebody who needs to then go and take that deck and execute a concise, well thought out game plan. Yeah. And I think that, uh, you know, I, it, all of that to say, like, this is when you're going in to build a deck or experiment with building a deck, it is good to think of what general archetype do I feel comfortable playing? What have I had experience playing that's comfortable? And I need to be able to identify those things. But it's probably better to go into that deck building process saying, am I playing fast or slow? Am I playing reactive or am I playing proactive here? And, and, and sometimes you just go in and you're like, I, I really want to play Jinx today. Well, I'm looking at Jinx. Jinx is probably a fast, proactive card. Maybe. Yep. <laughs> you know, I, I've I mean, actually, I generally, I'd yeah, say. Yeah, I yes. actually played against a Jinx deck the other day that wasn't that. It, it was actually used as a card draw engine um, instead. Yeah. And, and it worked um, and in sort of like a game ender, right? And it, it, was, yeah. it was interesting. It was interesting because it drew cards. And when they emptied their hand, they kept getting rockets. And they were actually a control <laughs> deck that ground me out of resources. 
and then use their Jinx to generate resources. It worked for it, so you could use it in a couple different ways. All of that to say, you kind of go in, and that's a way to look and say, okay, this is my game plan. I'm going to make Jinx work in this game plan, and it doesn't always have to fit the same thing, which is where you come up with a lot of really creative decks that end up end up really working. I think that's a really good look at, I mean, it's a, a very in-depth look, in my opinion, of that question of what's the difference between aggro mid-range and control and how to identify what deck is which i think if you listen to all of that you would kind of at least get a good idea of it but ultimately it's going to take some experience on the ladder playing against yeah. it to be able to help you identify it because all that information is great but when you queue up against your opponent you only know what factions they're playing and what champs are in that deck you have to learn and train yourself in those first couple of rounds of seeing what your opponent is doing to identify what their game plan is which tells you what your game plan is um, yeah, and I, I will say one of the things that helps you because like you can know your game plan all day and, and exactly what Mark is saying, which is that you may not be able to identify what theirs is. Uh, but that's something that I've found in almost every card game. The more you play, especially in established metas, uh, you can typically figure it out in the first three to four turns because you'll find that the ones and two drops uh, in Legends of Terra and just like in Elder Scrolls Legends, typically dictate certain play styles early on. Now, there are exceptions, something like Omen Hawk. I've seen Omen Hawk in aggro, I've seen Omen Hawk in, in mid range, and every once in a while in control. You know, so like that's it's not perfect, but there are some, uh, you know, ones and twos, uh, that'll be more value generation or defensive, and you can generally use that to extrapolate what is likely going to pair with that card, which gives you already an impression of how they want to play the game. Um, you know, if, if you if you start off with a Legion Saboteur, you can be pretty sure that they're going to be very fast, very aggressive, and, and that you're going to need to set up uh, ways or start digging for ways to protect your life total. You know, and and, and so like you know, flip side, I'm trying to think of a defensive one drop now. Uh, I know they exist, but you know, oh the plucky uh, Poro, the plucky Poro, <laughs> sure. There you go. Uh, yeah, you can look at things like that, and you can get you know a better idea. Or really, the best thing in this game, you start seeing people stocking up the spell mana. Yep. You know, pass on turn one, pass on turn two, and you should start saying, okay, here mm -hmm. I, I should I should I should start being ready for a big spell. You know, for that big spell, yeah. So, okay. Um, Avaros and Sentry, there's a great example. Avaros and Sentry is a card that you are probably not going to see uh, in a in a very fast, you know, aggressive deck um, because of its lack of stats. It doesn't trade with anything. It doesn't stick around for more than one attack, which is typically something that, uh, you know, a, unless it's for a very specific reason, even though it refills your hand, and I'm not saying there's never a world where it can be an aggro, but rather you'd rather play that Boom Crew Rookie or that Cursed Keeper that generates a lot more value for that cost mm -hmm. uh, when it comes to when it comes to translating that value into your opponent's life total, as opposed to translating that value in the case of Avaros and Sentry uh, to your resources. Yep, another card in your hand. Yeah. Okay, so real quickly, I'm going to go through and DBN, you're just going to tell me after this if I'm right or I'm wrong. I'm going to predict okay. cards and decks in the meta, what they are. Ready? So. Wait, wait. Okay, well, all right. You might have to do a little bit of explaining. Like I said, I've been out of it for, for a little bit. I, but I yes. think these ones you'll be aware of. Jinx, Draven, Discard, Aggro, Zed Elusives, Aggro. Here's my. Uh, yeah. Okay, my two, my two mid-range. The Ash, sort of Frailyard, Frostlock deck. 
and the sure. uh the elise hecarim fearsome deck yeah i'd say that's okay. about right then control heimerdinger karma control yeah. and uh ezreal combo yeah okay we talked Spot about on. all of those and but, yasuo and yeah okay that's yeah. my that's my favorite right now playing that yasuo mm. Well, so I, juicy. Although, you know, I will say, I, and that you can play a control deck that has a very control game plan and still pull out a win against another control deck playing an aggressive stance. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's like, the trick, right? Like, you can, if I play my Yasuo, if I play my Yasuo deck, uh, which I'm very proud of, and I don't know if anyone else is playing Yasuo, but I love it. Um, but when I play my Yasuo control deck, most of the time I'm controlling. And we talked about Yasuo earlier, and the devs were talking about it being a consumptive ability. I mean, it's a win condition. Upgrading Yasuo is a win condition that just kind of tears away at their board. And you can often, that that's kind of like, that's your win condition, mm-hmm. is setting up Yasuo so that, you know, getting him upgraded and then pairing him with enough cards so that he slices apart any creature that they play, right? Uh, and and you, you're able to just completely ruin their board presence. Um but I will say there's a lot of times where I'll play against an even slower controller deck. I had a great matchup against a really slow Ash control deck that, like, I think Trendemir is in it and some other just really slow stuff. I think it was Shadow Isles uh, was paired with yep. it for mm-hmm. just some lot, a lot of – it was a really cool deck. And, I mean, the game went, like, 35, 40 minutes. It was crazy. Ooh. But our two control decks were just kind of duking it out, and eventually I said, okay, I've got these – beefy bodies in my hand i need to get them out and pressure that's the way i'm gonna win this game and yeah it was you know already 10 plus man at that point what i'm getting at here is that like just because you have a deck you can identify that you have to be aggressive even if that's not what your deck's game plan is intended to be Mm -hmm. Um, and being able to identify that early can make all the difference if you identify that you have to play against your game plan too late in the game when you've allocated your resources in an improper fashion it's often too late yep um so that's just a let in that last little bit of uh feedback i guess yeah well uh, we've been out this for about an hour and a half so i think this is a good point to begin wrapping things up i do have a closing thought for today so i thought i would go ahead and and take a moment and share that closing thought now it's a party <laughs> So my closing thought for today is uh, is about overall health, overall health. So in light of many of the things that are going on in our world in uh, in March of 2020, depending on when you're listening to this, with, uh, with a virus sort of rampant throughout the world globally right now, um, I just want to say there is a certain amount of, like, you need to pay attention to every aspect of your life. Here's my point. You need to pay attention to every aspect of your life. I'm just going to give you an example of what I do in my own life and you because I think uh, I, it has worked for me and you can sort of tweak it to make it work for you. I have people over me and friends that hold me accountable to these seven key areas of life management, okay? Making sure that my life, that I'm managing things, because without my life being managed, when my life becomes unmanageable, I can't achieve any of the goals that I want to set out to achieve. So these areas are rest, so that's getting proper sleep. We say you can't, 
you can't do the rest unless you rest, right? You have to you have to actually get some sleep. You cannot perform at top level without getting rest. Rest for the next for us it's prayer that's an important thing to my life that might not be an important thing to your life but for me prayer and making sure that that's happening in my life so it's oh, now it's, I'm going to have a hard time remembering all of them off the top man rest prayer uh it's not Oh my goodness. Oh, rest, uh, prayer, physical care. Yeah, that's a third one. Physical care. This is diet, exercise, and addictive behaviors. Diet, exercise, and addictive behaviors. Rest, prayer, physical care, relationships. If your relationships are an absolute hot mess, it will impact and tear apart every other aspect of your life. You need to maintain True. healthy relationships and then many times you have to maintain healthy boundaries to protect yourself from poisonous or disruptive unhealthy relationships so rest mm -hmm. prayer physical care relationships study this is growing growth in general what are you growing you don't have to study a specific thing. doesn't mean you have to be in school but you need to be adding something to your life so that you're growing in some aspect and whether that's studying something new that's just exciting to you, whether that is being in school, reading a, a book just for fun, whatever it is, growing um, in, in general. Rest, prayer. I have to keep going through them. Rest, prayer, physical care, relationships, study. Um, that's five. And these dashing red uniforms. What? I didn't get that reference. Oh, it's Monty Python. Never mind. Oh, Carry on. I'm sorry. Well, I'll give you. I'll give you another one. Uh, it's it's finances. Um, and, uh, and that's, and I don't know if that's all of them, but they, you, the, you, you're getting the gist, right? Finances are a really important thing too. So kind of like where are you at financially? Cause finances can add stress to your, the rest of your life. Oh, the last one's work is your work in or out of balance. Are you becoming a workaholic? Are you not working enough? Um, what does your work ethic look like? So these were all areas that I actually check in with people. And what I do is I give a plus a minus or a plus minus in these areas of my life. So I sit down with someone, we go through them and I say, I'm a plus or I'm a minus. I'm not doing well in this area or I'm kind of doing okay. I'm a plus minus. And we talk about these seven key areas and this is a holistic way to look at your entire life and ensure that you're living well in multiple areas. Um, I Sometimes we get too narrowly focused on one. I don't know if that's a helpful tool for you, but it's a helpful tool for me. And it's most helpful when it's lived out inside of community with other people, finding someone else to help hold you accountable, ask you these questions. And, and when you tell them, no, nah, man, I'm a minus in rest. I just haven't been sleeping. They're able to get on your tail and say, quit playing video games and go to sleep. Mark, you've been working all day and it's 1147 on a Wednesday night. Go to bed. Quit podcasting. You know, you need, you need somebody yeah, Mark. to do that in your life. So uh, that's my closing thought. Find a pattern that works for you, a list of things, and make sure that you're taking a look at multiple areas of your life and find someone to do that with you. That's my that's my closing thought. My soapbox at the end of the night. Yeah. Hey, listen. Uh, first off, I always get something out of these anyways. Uh, but I, uh, for all the comic book readers out there, I always love looking at old comic books and seeing the the stan's soapbox segment in the marvel comics where he would kind of write a an, an edit editorial note about something that he was passionate or something about that uh, and that's what this reminds me of in a really fun way so i always like it but no i think self-examination is really important but i think more important than self-examination is finding somebody to share that self-examination with and receive feedback on it yeah i think a lot of times you can either be tend to be too harsh on yourself or in other cases um not 
real with yourself. And so having somebody that you trust and that you, that they know that, you know, you'll heed their uh, feedback. It doesn't mean they're perfect either, but I do, do think it helps to bounce a lot of that sort of self-examination off of somebody else. It's helped me a lot. So, um, and of course, I think making lists is something that everyone should do. And so, you know, in this case, Mark was talking about the, that list of things that he wants to keep track of in his life. But in general, lists are so effective. Yes. In making sure you stay focused or reminded of what's important or can just there's something very cathartic and i've been doing this recently about scratching things off of lists oh, it's awesome. and it's really it's really important to kind of remind yourself of those little accomplishments that the day you know and every time i'm at work sometimes i'll do something that i that i didn't know at the beginning of the day when i made the list i need to do and i will add it and then scratch it off i think that's really important uh and something that i just I can't recommend enough just from my little bit. And so making those lists, whether it's the things you want to focus on in life, the things you got to get done today, uh, or just a little, you know, a list of things that make you happy or a list of things that, you know, your uh, family member or significant other did that made you happy. I think it's really cool to write those things down and you can use them as a fun reminder or just a way to make yourself smile. So Yes. Just keep that in mind. Did literally did that today. Added two things to a list that I already accomplished that involved the show today so that I could scratch them out. <laughs> that it's so satisfying. Oh my goodness. Can't recommend I love it enough. I'm literally a slave to my planner. I know that doesn't sound appealing to anybody, probably, and you're like, oh my gosh, guys, so lame. Um, but I, I am. I love my I love having my planner. Um I didn't used to be, but I am. Sticky now. notes, man. Makes it's not me as effective. fancy as a planner, but sticky notes, I just I have them everywhere. Yeah, they're a great way to make lists too. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think that's going to about wrap it up for this episode of uh, Legends Cast. Um, I do want to remind everybody, if you got this far through, you must like the show at least a little bit. Go drop us a five-star rating and review over on iTunes. We'll give you a shout-out on the show and put you in a drawing for that sick Legends Cast hat slash shirt slash almost certainly going to be a hat. Um, at yeah, the end of the month yeah. of March, yeah, um, you can visit us on Patreon over at patreon.com slash legendscast, and you can join our Discord through the link that I'll throw up in the show notes. Is there anything else that you feel the need to shout out tonight, uh, DBN? No, but I tell you what, hats, uh, even if you're not someone who's into wearing hats, they serve a lot of functions. You can put popcorn in them, draw things, draw pieces of paper out of them to figure out what you're going to do uh, with a group, you know, charades and whatnot. Hats are really pretty cool, so you better get entered mm -hmm. to win one of them. Yeah, you can eat cereal out of them if you eat it really fast. <laughs> before it gets ruined and yeah. probably you'll only want to do that the one time but but you'll be so happy about it that you ate that those mini wheats out of that hat uh, <laughs> oh don't wear it before there's your banter whoever yeah, likes the banter we didn't do a ton of banter but there's some banter there's for you some right banter at the end, at the end. <laughs> oh wow i may actually just cut it out and put it at the very beginning um <laughs> just like before before the intro just like here's your here's your banter damn it take yeah. it and leave <laughs> <laughs> oh wow okay that's gonna Good do it for stuff. us oh that's gonna do it for us uh thank you so much for joining us and, and tuning into legends cast episode number six come back next week um for some more awesome stuff <laughs> just a terrible ending <laughs> more awesome now you have to leave that stuff. in <laughs> 
no, I'm leaving this in right here. This is the oh, okay, actual. This is the actual. Well, the actual ending ends now. Yep. Goodbye. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Legends Cast. This episode was made possible by listeners like you. If you want to become a supporter of the show, visit patreon.com slash legendscast or leave a rating and review wherever it is that you listen to podcasts.